The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Well, Merry Christmas. You guys are excited. Merry Christmas. All right. Well, welcome to our Christmas Eve service. It's great to have you here today. Uh, right now, we're finishing our series called Jesus Our King, and uh, it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting time of the year. Um, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, today, we're gonna be looking at Luke 2, uh, verses 8 through 20. And so again, if you've got your Bible, uh, turn to Luke 2, 8 through 20, because we're gonna be studying scripture. Um, one of the things that we, we believe is that um, the Bible is not just a book, uh, but it is God's word. It's God's word. And so I was, uh, had the opportunity this past week to go see uh, Star Wars, yeah, it was great. Um, but, uh, you know, right before, there's all these previews that are going. And uh, the first preview to the movie that, that was, was coming up that's going to be released is, uh, was this movie, Samson. It's coming out. It's a, it's a biblical movie. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, I don't know what, what the storyline is other than from what I see in Scripture and if it's going to match up or not. But uh, right after that preview was done, I heard chuckles and laughing, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, and then I heard somebody say, oh, the Bible, you know. And then we sat through a bunch of other previews that are fiction, and nobody, nobody laughed. Nobody laughed. We took it very seriously. You know, everybody was locked in, and we watched a movie, Star Wars, that is fiction. Everybody's locked in, crying, clapping at the end. You know, and so... What I want to say is that, that this book right here is not a fanciful story, um, you know, of uh, in a galaxy far, far away. This is history. And so as we've been studying through Luke, Luke is meticulous when it comes to the detail that he writes about the Bible and about the historical nature in which the story of Jesus happens. And the reason he does this is because today he wants us to come and not just to listen, but to experience the living Jesus. Jesus who is alive. You see, and so today's message is this, the Savior King. So why, why did Jesus come? What was his mission? Was it so that we would decorate the tree and put up lights and have a great time opening presents? Was it for the nostalgia of, her, of it all? Those things are good, but here's what Matthew one twenty one says. It says this, when it's talking about Jesus, it says this, he will save his people from their sins. God sent Jesus not to declare condemnation on the world, but to announce that God came to save the world. Jesus, born in a humble circumstance, came on a rescue mission. We say, well, rescued from what? See, all of us would have to agree that the world is not as it should be. Even as the world right now celebrates and, and, and has a great time and, and everything, we get those fuzzy feelings inside about Christmas, we would have to say that things are not as they should be. And we say, well, what about just one day out of the year? Could it just be that? 
The Bible tells us there's a specific reason why things aren't right. It's because of this word, sin. Sin. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a lot of reasons of describing of why the world is wrong. But God's word says that it's because of sin. You know, I, uh, we recently had this, this uh, time where we were able to go and, and, and uh, as a family, we saw Santa Claus. And so Santa's doing his thing, passing out candy canes. And, and one of the things he asked to my son, who's seven, he says, um, have you been good this year? And surprisingly, my son looked at him and said, no, <laughs> I haven't been good. But he still got a candy cane instead. You know, he still got a candy cane and it was, it was cool. But here's the thing. When we look at Santa Claus, when we think about that, it's like, okay, is this about being good people and bad people? That, that's not the thing. It's, it's about our problem with sin and we need a savior. We need a savior. I've used this quote before, but I think it's helpful for us today. It's a guy named Carl Menninger and he looks back and he wrote this book in 1973 called Whatever Became of Sin. And I know it's taboo in our culture to talk about this or maybe even archaic, but here's the thing he says. He says, and he's not a Christian. He says, is no one any longer guilty of anything Guilty, perhaps, of a sin that could be repented of or atoned for. Anxiety, depression, we all acknowledge. And even vague guilt feelings. But has no one committed any sins? Where indeed did sin go? What became of it? I believe there is sin which is expressed in ways which cannot be subsumed under verbal artifacts such as crime, disease, delinquency, deviancy. There is immorality. There is unethical behavior. There is wrongdoing. And I hope to show that there is usefulness in retaining the concept and indeed the word sin. This is a guy, again, who's not a, a Christian. See, there is a darkness. But the beauty of the Bible is it says that it's the light that shines in the darkness. And that light is Jesus. And so wherever you're at today in your beliefs on the Bible and Jesus, would you consider that the problem in our world and our own personal life could be related to the biblical idea of sin? And so again, we come back to what is the solution that we all need a savior king who comes to save messy, broken sinners. And as unpopular as that might be, that's the story of Christmas. God breaks through to struggling, hurting people. And so the setting for our text today is Luke 2. And, and here's what's happening. Again, like I said, Luke is very uh, intentional in, in helping us to understand today that this is grounded within history. And so if you look at verses uh, one through five, you'll see that, that he's, he's saying this is grounded in history. We get to verses six and seven in, in Luke. We talked about this last week, but we talked about the incarnation, that, that Jesus is not just some man who came, but he is God becoming flesh, God with us. God can relate to you and me. And today we're gonna to study the response as people see that he's not just some man who came, but he is God in the flesh. There is a response to Jesus' arrival. And so that's what we're gonna be studying in Luke 2, 8 through 20. 
And so as we study, here's the question we need to ask. How does God save us? How does God save us? And so we're we're gonna break it down and we see three ways from the text today. And here's what they are up front. It starts with number one, hearing God's message. Number two, receiving God's gift. And number three, experiencing God's truth. Hearing God's message, receiving God's gift, experiencing God's truth. And so the first one is hearing God's message. Look at verses eight through 10. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the first one is like, what is God's message? Well, if you look at verse eight, it's, it starts with this. First, he came for the outcast. The outcast. And so it says that there were shepherds out in the field. Now, there are people who have done study and research, and, and, and there are people who argue of this, but, but here's what we know. The shepherds, they, they weren't the most likely people that God would say, okay, these are, these are the people that uh, I'm gonna announce to first. Okay, they're, they're not in a palace, they're not royalty, they're, they're not any of these things, but they're, they are simple people. Simple people. And Robert H. Stein, who, who was sharing just a little bit of the history about this, says this, shepherds were dishonest and unclean according to the standards of the law. They represent the outcasts and sinners for whom Jesus came. Such outcasts were the first recipients of the good news. And so today, if you're coming in, you think there's no way that God could love me. You you don't understand my past. You don't understand what I've been through. I just want you to know that today, God's message first came for the outcast, for the person on the fringes of society. And so today, if you're struggling with that, I just want you to know that, again, what is God's message? He came for you. He came for me. The second part of that is if you look at verse nine, it says that there was an angel of the Lord that appeared and that there was glory of the Lord that shone around them. Um, This is a sign of a God who wants to be known. Okay, it wasn't that he, he says, okay, you gotta come to me, you gotta figure this out. But he's saying, no, I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna come in a way where I'm gonna send an angel and there's gonna be glory. This is a God who desires to be known that he comes in the form of a baby. That he becomes like us. See, some of us think, well, God's, he, he doesn't know what I'm going through. He, he doesn't know what I'm struggling with. But we see that God very clearly announces that, no, I, I came to you so that you could know me. And James 4, 8 tells us this, that it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is a God of Relationship. And again, it is unique to the Christian message. 
There's no other God like this. Yet God came in the form of a baby to be close to us. And there was an announcement. He is God. And third is this, that he brought good news. Uh, Look at verse, verse 10. It says, the angel comes, he says, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There, he brought good news. The, the word for good news is evangelion. It's, and, and it's said throughout the, the gospel of Luke 10 different times. It is stated throughout this gospel. This is an important word. Because we think, well, what is God's message to us? What does he want to say to us? He wants to bring good news to us. And I gotta say, like, what, what do we often hear in our world today? As we read the, the paper, as we look on the internet, at the news, what, what do we hear? It's not a lot of good news. It's, it's mostly a lot of bad news. But God says, I've, I, I give you an announcement of good news. And here's the thing. He doesn't hand out a good checklist of things for you to go do. He doesn't say, well, he, here's, here's all the good things that I want you to do. Here you go, go be a good person. But instead it says he gives good news. And what this is, it it, it reads not like a checklist, but a newspaper. It's an announcement. It's an announcement of what God has done to come to us to save us. And this was predicted all the way back in Genesis 3. You see, as we think about sin, as we think about the the human problem, the human condition, all the way back to Genesis chapter three, God already had an answer. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first gospel and it's in Genesis 3.15, predicted all the way back at the very beginning. Here's what it says. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And you say, well, where's... What's that mean? Here's the thing. God was saying that there is going to be one that is going to be human. And he's gonna be the one that gives the death blow to Satan and the work of Satan. He's talking to the serpents. And so that announcement happens all the way back in Genesis 3.15. And what is all of this? What is all of scripture? It is all leading to Jesus. That's good news. See, Jesus' coming is not God's plan B. It is his only plan. <laughs> it is his only plan. And what we find out is that the good news is meant for all. Look at verse 10. It's, it says it's for all people. Here's the thing. The message of Jesus, the, the good news of God is this, that it is the most inclusive message in the world in the sense that, hey, everybody's invited to the table, cultures, genders, ages, economic status. That is unique. But there's only one door. It's very narrow. It is in the Son. It is in Jesus. Enter in through the Son. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God's message is this. Open table for all. There's only one door because there's only one who came to save us from our sins. There's only one. 
It's Jesus. And so the second part is this. It's receiving God's gift. Verses 12 and 14, let's look at this. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's a lot happening in this passage. I don't have time to go into all of it here, but I wanna point out a couple of things. The first one is this. It says, verse 12, that there will be a sign. There's gonna be a sign. And what's God's sign to mankind? It's this, that he loves us. And how do we know that? Because it says that you're gonna find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, what this is, is not us working our way to God, but that God worked his way all the way down to us. God reaching out to us to make things right. See, Christianity is about God's work, not ours. It's God's gift to us, not our gift to him. Because here's the thing, none of us could bring a gift to God that would be able to atone for our sins. And so the only one was the one who came down to us, Jesus See, when we understand this, we will understand verse 14 because it says that this, there's peace that happens in our lives. This word can also be looked upon as a a peace treaty. Like if, if there were two parties at war and then one takes that step of saying, here's the peace treaty, We say, well, peace treaty between who? I haven't been at war with God. Here's the thing. We've all personally rebelled. We've chosen our own way. We've said, I'm king of my life, or I'm queen of my life. So God, I I don't want you meddling around. I'm fine. I'm okay. I, I can hold it all together, right? Like we've all done that. It's like Herod's song in Jesus Christ Superstar when he looks at Jesus and he says, get out of here, get out of here, you get out of my life. Let's be honest. Haven't we heard that cry within our own hearts? Get out of here. Stop meddling around in my life, God. I've got it all together. I don't need that right now. And in our rebellion, Jesus enters history and is the peace offering from God to us. He's the olive branch. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't like I just got my life together and then I earned God coming to me, but it's, it's that while I was still in my sin, still rebelling against God, that God came to me and loved me. And that should be shocking. Mark Wahlberg, um, October 2017, said this. He says, you know, I, I hope God could forgive me for one of the movies that he made. 
And, and here's the thing, he, he's, he's a devout Catholic. And, and he does a lot of work to try and um, show his faith. But he, he's still seeking and saying, I, I hope that God could forgive me. How do you know if you're, because here's the thing, it says that there's peace in, in that God would be pleased with whom he is pleased, like there would be peace with those whom he is pleased. How do we know God is pleased with us? It says when we receive his son, it's when we simply receive him and say, I, I need him. I need Jesus. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It's purely a gift of God's grace. And lastly, we, we, we get to verse 15. It's, it's experiencing the truth. So these shepherds hear this great announcement and here's what it says. It says, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It wasn't that they just figured it out and I'm just gonna use this knowledge that I personally have on my own. No, God made it known to me about this message. And I just wanna say this. If you're here today and you're hearing this for the first time, you're not here by accident. And that God wants to make something known to you that this son was born for you. See, the story is of Jesus is about evidence and experience becoming active faith. It's they, they, God's calling them saying, and God is inviting these shepherds to say, okay, come experience the birth of my son. Come experience the truth that God is sending a peace offering for us. And here's the thing, they, they don't just wait around. They don't just say, well, that's great and all, but I kind of got some things to do, some sheep to watch, you know, like, they don't have that type of attitude, but instead they respond. They do something about it. See, the phrase, this thing, literally means this word. Let's experience this word that has happened. It's about this word coming to life. It's about reading for us today and saying, it's not just words on a page. A lot of the things I'm learning are, are, are this, like, and I do it myself. When I watch a movie or when I read a book, I say, is that true? How true is that? There are websites out there where you can go and you can see like, okay, I just watched this inspirational movie and how much, how, what percentage of that is true? See, here's the thing. All of us, deep down, we want something that's true. And in the book of John, Jesus is called the word. He's called the word that becomes, that, that comes to life. John 1, 11 through 12 says, he came to his own people and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Why was Jesus born? So that you and I could be born again. That's why he came. The word became flesh and he came to be experienced. It's a helpful quote from Timothy Keller. He says, the gospel, because it is a true story, means all the best stories will be proved in the ultimate sense, true. Are there things that touch your heart? Are there things that hit you to the core? You say, why does that impact me so deeply? It's because ultimately there was one who came. Because again, as I watched all the previews of the movies that were coming out, it's like there's this one person who's supposed to be special. They're supposed to be the savior. They're supposed to be the one that brings everything together, right? Why does that story keep coming back and being threaded all through different stories that we hear all the time? It's because ultimately there is one who came to save his people. So has the truth of Jesus coming personally impacted you? So just some takeaways. How do we respond to the Savior King? The first one is this. Admit our need for a king. Romans 8, 7 says this. That there was, we, we have this enmity towards God. Again, it's that thing that's inside of us that says, God, I've got this under control. And it's admitting that, right? It's saying, okay, I actually have that within me. I have that rebellious thing that fights against God. And it's a scary thing to admit, but we, we can't fake it or hide it, but it, we need to be honest about it. Brennan Manning wrote, he says, it, it remains a startling story to those who never understand that men and women who are truly filled with light are those who have gazed deeply into the darkness of their imperfect existence. If you've gazed deeply into the truth of like, really like who I am, who am I? We would have to say that we need a light to break through into our hearts. And so it's first admitting that I, I need a king. I need a ruler. I, I'm not fit to be the king or ruler of my own life. I'm not. Second, it's this. We stop defending our personal kingdom. See, here's the thing. Like, okay, what is it about following Jesus and being a Christian that feels like a disruption? Right? It's like, what are the excuses we're making right now? It's like, I just want the American dream. I want everything to be perfect. I want it to, like, what is it? If we lay down our kingdoms, our little, little kingdoms of the castles we're building, right? Jesus breaks through. What difference would that make in our lives? Because lastly, it's this. It's, it's lay down our crown at Jesus' feet. Look at verse 19. Here's what it says Mary's response is. And 
I love this because we've been following her, her story throughout. But here's what it is. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What's the treasure to her? It's, it's not her own personal glory. It's not her own personal crown, right? It's laying it down and saying, my treasure is Jesus, the son that is gonna be born into the world. He's my treasure. He's my everything. Queen Elizabeth of England once said, I, I wish I could be alive when Christ returns because I would like to be the first earthly monarch to take my crown and lay it at his feet. For some of us today, we think there's, there's, there's no way that this message could be for me. And I saw this video this past week. I thought it was, it was really helpful because it's a lady who, she's Jewish. And she grew up her whole life thinking that Jesus wasn't for me. It's for everybody else, but he couldn't be for me. And what happened next was that she experienced that Jesus is for her, that he came for her, that he died for her. And so I wanna play this video and we're just gonna listen to Diane's story of what she said. Everyone is working the way up to God. They really don't get into the fact that really God came down to us. There was an explanation of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And the <coughs> Sunday school teacher had an actual scale. And she was demonstrating how we had this, this, this on the good side, this, this, this on the bad side. We had to make sure that the good side outweighed the bad side for us to be written into the book of life. Third grade, I'm eight years old, I was petrified. Needing to please this, this God. Okay, I have to be holy, I have to be holy. You can't do it, it doesn't make sense. I would ask so many questions. Why are we doing this? What is the purpose? What's the meaning? Historical significance? If the good outweighs the bad, then I'm written in the book of life, but the holiday comes around the next year, so I'm only written in for that one year. The response was always the same. We're doing this because this is what Jews do. I also felt this emptiness inside of me, the need to be the best, um, perfectionist, living up to expectations, a lot of anxiety. And I was really good in my roles, whether it was a role of a daughter, a role of a student, wife, mom, trying to control things, my situations, people. If I can do everything, I don't need God. I was invited to a women's seminar. There was a woman who had a real potter's wheel and she was molding a pot. She was focused on the scripture discussing, we are the clay, you are potter, we are all the work of your hands. If I'm the clay and God is molding me, he had a reason for it. I'm listening to the speaker, she's seamlessly weaving the story, the scriptures from the Tanakh to the New Testament all throughout. Everything from childhood are just like flooding into me, questions, the questions that I would hammer away as that child. And God gave me such a supernatural oomph, desire, hunger, ability to all of a sudden research. And I'm digging and digging and finding all sorts of fascinating things. Talking to some rabbis, I would ask questions. And the answers 
would drive me to scripture because to me they felt somewhat incomplete. Many in the Jewish community don't receive the New Testament as something for Jewish people. So much has been done in the name of Jesus. It's just accepted, you know, this is what we do, this is what we don't do, this is who we are, this is who we're not. Jesus, Jews, it just doesn't connect. If you're a culture that has been so persecuted and you're holding on to something so tightly, it makes you dig in your heels and make sure that you retain that ethnicity even stronger. And I don't even know what I was looking for, quite honestly. But in all my delving, I started to see that it's not this separate book. It actually is seamlessly connected to the Tanakh. Everything flows. All the um, blood sacrifices in Leviticus, and again, coming back to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, what the holidays signify, all that was leading up to Jesus. He's the final sacrifice. Atonement is a covering. He removed my body of sin. He took that upon himself on the cross. And then he gave me his righteousness. And at that moment, it was crystal clear. Everything was hitting me and I was crying. My sin, past, present, and future is forgiven. That's freedom. The shackles came flying off. I was just given a whole brand new identity. I am holy. I am forgiven. I am righteous. I am his beloved. To give control that I've never really had away to a God who not only is he in control, he's sovereign. He is in complete control of every molecule on this planet, including me. It's not this gritting my teeth trying to please this distant holy God. It takes the pressure off of me because it's not about me. I'm free to live. I'm free to walk. I'm free to do. I'm free to let other people be who they are. It is exciting. I have a purpose. My purpose in life is to live for God. I know who he is now. And every day I'm learning more and more and more who he is. Follow his leading. Enjoy him forever. Here's my hope. It's not just another Christmas, but that today you know that Jesus came to save you. He came to save me. He's our savior king. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you came. You came to us. There's no other message like this. There's nothing this miraculous. And yet in many ways, it's easy to miss it. And so I pray today that your spirit move and work and help us to understand more and more how beautiful the gift of Jesus really is. And that as we celebrate during this time of year that we remember it's Jesus came to save us and that we just celebrate that and we're thankful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. 
If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.